0: You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voiced person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show this is it we're coming to you from the headquarters of the office of cable tv film music and entertainment which is also the historic headquarters of black entertainment television so it's an honor to be here dearly beloved we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the council i'm josh gibson director of communications for the council you may also know me as the council's voice on social media at council of dc if you don't follow us already get with the program Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the DC Council is just like your workplace, except with a dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. Uh, so now, without any further ado, let me welcome our guest today, Ward 5 Councilmember Kenny McDuffie. Thanks for having me back, Josh. Thank you so much for coming back. It's appreciated. Uh, As listeners know, uh, we recently uh, recently wrapped up our first round of interviews with council members. They're available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Those focus mainly on getting to know the council members, their backgrounds and biographies. Now in our second round, we're going to focus more on life at the council, their experiences, learning curves, surprises, ins and outs, ups and downs. And the disclaimer, we did give the council members a bit of a heads up about the question um, so they could prep if they wanted to, and they can definitely pass on questions if they want to. So uh, we start the second round off with a a bit of a uh, softball pitch, which is tell us about something you've done on the council that you're proudest
1: of. A big victory. Okay. I'm Failures. <laughs> Failures. I'm only joking. Look, uh, no, I appreciate the question and, uh, just the opportunity to come back and chat with you, Josh. I had a lot of fun the first time and, uh, was really looking forward to, to coming back. And so, you know, something I'm proud of. Um, th- there are lots of things that, that myself and my team at the council have been able to accomplish over the last six years that, that really make me proud. And, um, I think one of the things that stands out is the work on the NEAR Act, the Neighborhood Engagement Achieve Results Act. Uh, And I'm proud because initially uh, that measure was misunderstood. Uh, And it really took a lot of work to bring people along the way to orient them as to what we were trying to accomplish. And so in short, the NEAR Act uh, ushered in a health-based approach to crime prevention and intervention in the District of Columbia. It looked at crime and said that we cannot arrest our way uh, out of the problems that we're seeing across the District of Columbia, particularly the gun violence. Uh, and we've got to figure out innovative ways to address intractable issues of violence. And so what the NERAC does, uh, in short, and it does a lot of things, there's several titles to the NARAC, um, but it it established an Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement that uh, hires individuals to be uh, essentially credible messengers, they, they are uh, people who go into neighborhoods, uh, perhaps people who have lived in those neighborhoods who have served periods of incarceration for violent offenses, who have come back and successfully reintegrated, and now uh, have the credibility to talk to some of the younger people who are most likely to engage in uh, violent criminal activity, particularly gun violence and to to build bridges bring them into government put them on a pathway to success we introduced them to mentors uh, and their resources to support them and hopefully change their trajectory and 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 help them change and turn their lives around Uh, but it also establishes uh, an office of violence prevention and health equity to really do the research around gun violence and 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 put a plan together uh, about how the city is going to approach violence from a health-based perspective putting that health strategy in place uh, and it does a host of other things, but that that was one of the things that I think initially the narrative was just negative, and people didn't understand what we were trying to accomplish. Uh, it, it, it was being billed by some of the media as paying criminals not to commit crime, and it, it was the farthest thing from what we were trying to accomplish. Uh, and it does so much more. And so uh, we we learned some hard lessons with the Near Act, but but I am proud because I think today uh, everyone you know from my colleagues on the council who you know supported it. Uh, those in uh, the executive uh, to activists advocates and people ordinary people in the District of Columbia can be proud of the work that's taking place and and we're seeing it be implemented and we're, we're starting to see uh, some positive uh, outcomes as well so
0: yeah I feel like you got hit with a dose of what uh, Bill Clinton got hit with back on uh, midnight basketball that like there was kind of a little trope that people picked up yeah, on yeah and um, they Misinterpret it. they spun it uh, the way they wanted to to make the argument they wanted to, and they missed the point.
1: Yeah, I got coverage from in the New York Times, uh, coverage all the way out in the West Coast. I got interviewed by the program, the doctors. Um, and there were only a handful of people who quite understood um, that this was a smart approach to public safety, that this was, um, you know, a lot of provisions of the Act really were things that uh, President Obama, Attorney General Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch were trying to do nationally, uh, that we were able to get done uh, uh, within this bill. I mean, the open data provisions that are included in the Act, um, the the training of police officers th- around cultural competency, uh, around uh, you know use of force, uh, those things are are so critical uh, to the work that's happening in communities, and it's all in there in the Act.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, uh, uh, folks don't seem to understand enough that public, by the time we're dealing with something on a public safety front, someone's already had struggles and has had government failures. The, Absolutely. The health system, you know, there was lead in the water that damaged their brain development. You know, they're uh, at a school where they're, um, you know, maybe not getting served well. Um they're absent. We heard a lot about absenteeism, mm-hmm. but not about why absenteeism happens. Right. In a lot of cases, people or kids are caring for their younger siblings. Yeah, you, you don't get to... Pu- ideally, we should not need public safety programs yeah. if we served our youth better. And, and I think and this is what you're trying to get that's at. That's
1: what we're trying to get at. And I think a lot of folks... You know, it, it, it's difficult to necessarily look at what the function of law enforcement is, right? People think of you know, crime and gun violence and automatically think of the police. Well, in actuality, the police, they show up after these events occur, unfortunately. Uh, And it's not the case that most of the crime is being prevented by law enforcement. And so uh, we, I think, have to be more proactive and more innovative, quite frankly, and from a government perspective, on what policies we put in place to address these things. You talked about education. Um, You know, if a person has a solid educational foundation they graduate from high school and are career college ready. Um, if they are engaged in employment that allow them to be able to afford a home, you know these are the people who are going to be chasing behind you, trying to grab your wallet or steal your purse, right? And so those measures that we are uh, that we are resourcing, that we are supporting, uh, like education, like uh, workforce development, like affordable housing, those are the things that we need to support. Uh, our communities and our individuals in our communities across district columbia and frequently those are the types of supports and services that help keep people out of the system
0: yeah i mean it's some might argue that we need to help youth with making better decisions the sad situation is some of them might be making the best decision they can they're in such a bad spot yeah that uh, horribly. They yeah. feel like they don't have a choice. It
1: was a phrase that was popular when I was when I was growing up uh, in the District of Columbia in the 80s and 90s uh, when it came to uh, sort of individuals who uh, entered the criminal justice system or had brushes with the law. Uh, you know, people would say they're a product of the environment, right? And I, you know, when I got a sort of high school age, I would take offense with that because I didn't like sort of how it made people sound like they didn't have any alternatives or there weren't any opportunities. But as I, as I got older, as I, as I got to college, as I started doing research, as I became a prosecutor, a civil rights attorney, uh, I better understood uh, what, what is meant by that phrase. And perhaps there's a lot of things that one could read into it. But you know, there are people across the District of Columbia who live in one neighborhood and have never been to the other side of the city. Right? There are people who live in far southeast who uh, you know perhaps have never spent time along MacArthur Boulevard, who have never you know been to Upper Northwest and Wisconsin Avenue in Tinley Town, or who you know don't have friends in Crestwood. So I think we've got to be mindful of that, and and we've got to always uh, take people where they are and meet them where they are, and try to make sure that we're supporting what their needs are. Um, but having them at the table is critical too right and not necessarily projecting onto people what we think is best for them uh, but working with them to discover what their needs are and how best to support them
0: now getting this bill funded has been a bit of a struggle Mm
1: -hmm. can we talk are we there yet so that's that's a great way of of asking the question are we there yet um we've had a a a number of provisions in the Act funded uh, the question always comes down to whether it's been fully funded, and, and I would say not in the spirit of how I envisioned it and how the council envisioned it when we passed unanimously. Uh, the Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement has been established, and I am really proud to have you know, worked with the mayor, worked with uh, Deputy Mayor Kevin Donahue um, to, to set up that office, working with uh, you know, uh, Council Member Charles Allen, who now chairs the committee, Uh, to set up the Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement. They started to hire their first round of violence intervention workers, uh, which is great as well. And I've seen a couple of those violence intervention workers in communities in Ward 5, so I'm proud of that. Um, And there are other things that have been implemented in Iraq, including um, uh, the work around the Community Crime Prevention Program, Uh, which established a a program to pair mental health and behavioral health professionals with uh, MPD workers. And so there's some funding to be able to implement that. Um, The open data provisions is another question. And so the open data provisions of the Act was something that uh, uh, I included uh, based on work that was being done uh, from a White House police data initiative. Uh, I had attended a convening uh, at the White House and learned about what some other jurisdictions have been doing. Uh, and strangely, MPD uh, was not a part of the White House's initiative, uh, which was disturbing to me. Uh, so since MPD was not already a part of this White House uh, Police Data Initiative, I decided to incorporate into the Act uh, some of the provisions that were being implemented in jurisdictions around the country. That we funded, the council funded, uh, in 2016, when we passed the act, we put it in the budget for FY17 based on what the the Metropolitan Police Department, the CFO, said uh, it would cost to fund it. And we put that amount into the budget, uh, and then it was only after we started to ask oversight questions of MPD, why haven't you implemented the open data provisions that they said, oh, it's gonna cost more than what you put into the budget. And so, uh, clearly, uh, it's frustrating and, and upsetting Uh, when you hear those types of things, but uh, I think we're at a point, uh, having worked with uh, Charles Allen, having worked with my colleagues at the council, uh, having talked to uh, Chief Newsham and others, uh, that we've identified how much it's gonna cost uh, to be able to implement it, but we've gotta get that stuff done. Uh, I think that data provision is critical because uh, it really helps to build, I think, better police-community relations when you're more transparent about arrests, stops, frisk and the demographic information around those types of things. If people know what you're doing, they can go to a website and find it easily. Uh, I think they're more likely to trust uh, when you come into their communities, when you're asking them about information about a crime.
0: Yeah, I think what what, uh, sort of a disappointment, frankly, working in D.C. government is you would think a bill passes, you know, like Mr. Smith goes to Washington kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The bill passes, roll credits, you know, play Mm -hmm. the ending music, we're good. But no, it has to be funded but then sometimes you get it funded okay roll credits happy and no you know or breaks come on you're still not there and the frustration when you're multiple years in at oversight hearings trying to put into place a national model with white house leadership you've provided funding an honest number and you're still it's still pushing rope
1: yeah um and that's it's it's frustrating uh, you know but you know I, i think it's Probably one of the most misunderstood aspects of government is that, you know, the sort of basic governmental structure, separation of powers, concepts around the executive, the judiciary, and the, and, and the uh, legislature. There's some uh, residents who, who, who don't quite understand that you know, council members don't work for the mayor. Uh, council members you know, don't have the authority over agency officials uh, to compel them the way that the executive does. Uh, and so, you know, as much as I love to be able to go fill a pothole or direct somebody to repave an alley, um, it, it's it's purely an executive function. Uh, the council obviously has oversight, and and we can, you know, really demand things and work hard to to sort of whip the executive into shape when they're not already doing their jobs. Um, but ultimately, uh, they're, they're, we are a separate branch of government, uh, a separate yet equal branch of government, which is important. Uh, and we do uh, have the power of the purse. And so I think that is important. But even when we have the power of the purse and able to fund critical programs, uh, it's still up to the executive to actually implement those programs. And, and therein lies, I think, uh, some challenges around um, what residents think the council should and could do versus what the executive has the authority to do.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not fully making this analogy, so don't play this mm-hmm. out to the logical conclusion but it's a little bit like parenting if you had no disciplinary authority Mm -hmm. like you're making the rules but if you don't have a disciplinary element to compel the behavior they're just rules they have the power of law we're a co-equal branch of government but there's times where that can get awfully frustrating Oh,
1: there there are times where it can get awfully frustrating uh, which is why it's best to work with the executive you know Uh, know, my practice has been to meet with uh, the mayor uh, and I've I've been in the council for six years, and so I've I've worked with two mayors, uh, and I've also worked for a previous mayor uh, within uh, an office of the deputy mayor for public safety and justice. Who uh, Paul Quaranta at the same time was a was an acting chief of staff, and so I can respect. And I've also worked in the judiciary uh, previously too. So I've got experience from from each of the branches of government. And have perspective that I bring from each, um, and and you know my experience isn't something that's often shared by lots of people who understand the dynamics between the executive, uh, the mayor's office and the the legislature and the council that we can legislate we can pass rules uh, and and we just hope that the executive will implement it the way that that the law requires Uh, in most cases they do Uh, and quite frankly when you work with the executive on the front end when it comes to budget items and priorities uh, I think I've seen in my experience the best outcomes Right.
0: And then the other element that, that you also bring to the table that not everyone necessarily does is, uh, is your upbringing. Is, you, know, you were a bit of a late bloomer, and you spoke very powerfully, I think, at the last uh, Chief Newsham
1: oh, hearing
0: about things you witnessed. Um, (laughs) And and it's important to understand that as well as the lawmaking and the prosecutorial Oh, no doubt.
1: I mean, I think I bring a very unique perspective to the work of the Council of the District of Columbia. Uh, Having, you know, been born and raised in the District of Columbia, grown up through some really tough times, the crack epidemic, uh, when we were labeled the murder capital of the United States. And and that hearing in particular that you mentioned was uh, about policing in Ward 7 and 8. Right. Uh, I don't live in Ward 7 or Ward 8. Uh, I don't represent Ward 7 or Ward 8. Uh, but the experiences of those residents are shared experiences for the residents of Ward 5, and quite frankly, across the District of Columbia, and in each of the eight wards. And so I wanted to provide some context. I, in particular, we were talking about, and I raised the issue of community policing. And one of the things that, that you mentioned was full implementation of the NERA Act. Well, the NERA Act requires uh, that mm-hmm. The Criminal Justice Coordinating Council and the NPD and others, that they do a community policing survey and that there be a community policing working group. Uh, it was only during that oversight hearing that I learned that the NPD had already uh, put in place a community policing working group. It was already, it had already done its work and produced a report. And I found it strange that, that as the author of the NIRAC and the person who, who thought it was important to do that, I had no idea. Nobody who I knew uh, in the community uh, who, who have interest in these things knew that a community policing working group had already been uh, uh, brought together and had already done its work and made recommendations. And so I wanted to share with, with the chief. Uh, My perspective as somebody who had grown up in the District of Columbia, who had experiences uh, with the police department, and not just MPD, but, you know, when I was growing up, Josh you know, we had open air drug markets, we had the National Guard spotlights in my neighborhood and neighborhoods throughout the District of Columbia, Uh, we had Secret Service, we had Park Police, we had all these folks converging onto neighborhoods throughout the District of Columbia, and my neighborhood in Stronghold was no exception. And so I had brushes of the law when I was arrested. Uh, You know, I I carry that experience with me in the work that I'm doing, and I, I still look at my work as a council member today through the prism of my youth. and. I did not like the police growing up. My first experience with the police was was in public school with uh, with Officer Friendly and the Side by Side Band, right? And so it was great. But as I you know came of age as a teenager, uh, a young adult in the District of Columbia, I, I didn't have great experiences with the police because you know they didn't seem to understand that I wasn't always just standing on the corner. I wasn't part of the group who were always doing something negative, and so. Uh, having been told to sit on the ground and, and take my tims off, and having been frisked on North Capitol Street uh, and in my alleys in my neighborhood, was just, you know, that that was something that helped shape my experience in law enforcement. I think it, it is the over-policing of urban communities throughout the United States and in the District of Columbia uh, is and has a tendency to um, have a negative perception as young black males and females goes, I think, and that was my experience growing up as well. And so I think I wanted to share with the chief and all those who were listening that you can't expect people in urban neighborhoods who only see police when they're responding to a crime to be the first ones to pick up the phone and call you to provide you useful information to make an arrest, unless you foster a relationship with them, unless you work at it, unless you are engaging in that community uh, during good times. Uh, if they can see their officers uh, you know, smiling, interacting, knowing their name, uh, if they're calling their officers up to, to offer them some water on a hot day when the officer's patrolling in the neighborhood. Uh, those are the types of things that forge those positive relationships that uh, residents in the District of Columbia still remember. Uh, you know, I was... I was out knocking on doors a little while ago and a woman said, you know, I remember when they used to have the call boxes on the end of my block and, and and officer, and she mentioned the guy's name. This was 30, 40 years ago, but that was her experience, right? And she says, you know, I don't see that anymore. I don't see these officers walking uh, along my neighborhood. I don't know the names of the people who patrol if they patrol in my community. And I think that uh, is, is, is one of the greatest challenges that we're facing right now as it relates to MPD's ability to interact with residents and and, and and really depend on residents to help solve crimes. Right,
0: right. I keep going back to the parenting analogy because I'm a parent, but mm-hmm. if your only interaction with your parent is strict discipline, mm-hmm. you're going to have difficulty going to your parent other times, even if you need help, even Absolutely. if they're the best people to go to for help. Absolutely. So it's a
1: it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I think it's a challenge that, that um, you know, that is apparent through most obser- by most observers, and I'm hopeful that we'll continue to make strides. Uh, I'm working hard at it. I know that others on the council are working hard at it, and, you know, it's something that I think we need to continue to just uh, be innovative about and creative about how we engage our communities.
0: Okay, we're going to have to go into a bit of a speed round because okay. we're, we're both uh, going deep on public safety here. So um, just one question on the flip side of the New York. When something inexcusably terrible happens, like the the drive-by shooting of the young woman, mm-hmm. do the police have the resources they need and the courts have the resources they need to come down like a ton of bricks on someone where... Sadly, their backgrounds are relevant at that point. They've done something so terrible right. that we need just the weight of law enforcement. No, it was, a, it, was a,
1: it was a tragic uh, homicide. Uh, and even since that homicide, there have been two uh, young girls who have been shot. Uh, and I think it amplifies the, the the need for us as government officials, as communities, as residents, as people who are invested in the success of this District of Columbia to do more. We've got to do more. Uh, that being said, I think there are resources within the criminal justice system to uh, meet out consequences uh, of people who commit those types of heinous crimes. I mean, absolutely senseless gun violence. Uh, I've watched the video multiple times, um, and it's amazing to me that that those four individuals didn't shoot each other because they were so just, uh, you know, it's hard to describe, Josh, and, and I get a little emotional when I when I think about it because uh, that parent, those parents lost a little girl. That community lost uh, a little girl who, you know, perhaps had a very bright future uh, for this city. And I think there are tools in our criminal justice system to, to deal with them. Uh, I was happy when, uh, and I know the communities uh, were were um, really encouraged by the arrests that have been made in that particular uh, homicide. Uh, and, and I'll say this. Having grown up in the District of Columbia, having the experience that I have had, uh, having uh, you know stood out on corners in my neighborhood, and having played basketball and boys' clubs across this city, uh, having had you know relatives who live in every quadrant of the District of Columbia, uh, in my experience, when crimes like that happen, somebody knows what who did it. When crimes like that happen, somebody knows who did it, which is why it's important for the Metropolitan Police Department to have those great relationships in the community so that they can leverage those relationships to get the information they need to make arrests and prosecute uh, those individuals to the fullest extent of the law.
0: Okay. Um, So in in the next uh, year's budget, we're gonna look for funding for transitions for this radio program, but right now we don't have any funding for transitions, (laughs) so this is gonna be abrupt. Do you have a lighthearted moment? We we went kind of deep and serious for almost the whole half hour. Uh, do you have a kind of behind-the-scenes moment from the council?
1: A snafu at a hearing? A moment with the uh, colleague? Something to take add? a stand a bit? And, I, and you actually prepped me for this, Josh. Uh, and and I, 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 I perhaps should have thought more about it. Um, a lighthearted moment would be—I don't know. You know, you know what I find to be interesting: um, the work at the council, and I don't think we do it enough. Uh I most enjoy the time away from the dais where I get to know my colleagues a little bit more um We have an annual retreat at the council, which is closed to the public and closed to the media uh but doing those those retreats to me are some of the most um, some of the most remarkable moments for me in my experience um we you know i hopefully my colleagues don 't mind me sharing this this past retreat. We had, um, at my coordination, a workshop on racial equity. And within that time, and it was no more than about an hour, hour and a half, um, it was one of the most elucidating moments for me in terms of the experiences that some of my colleagues decided to share. Um, perhaps people on the outside looking in, Josh, think that you know council members are the best of friends, um, perhaps on the outside looking in, people think that we're the worst of enemies. Uh, the reality is, we're people. Uh, we're parents. Um, we're spouses. Uh, we're siblings. And we have a lot of things in common. But that experience for me during that racial equity workshop, where we talked about race, where we talked about education, where we talked about, you know, uh, uh, things that can get emotional, it just really, I think, helped me see parts of my colleagues that I hadn't seen before. And so I think, it's not as lighthearted, perhaps, as you might have thought, but I, I, you know, I think it's important for your listeners to understand that the council members are people, um, that we have feelings, and although we probably have thicker skin than most, um, I can say uh, that my colleagues and I work really hard on behalf of the residents of District of Columbia, uh, and we put the best interests of residents first. Uh, and And some of the things that were shared in that retreat to me, I think only reinforced my feelings that uh we've got a great group of people down at the council
0: and you kind of captured part of the premise of this radio show is while we 're talking policy and other things like that we 're trying to let people see behind the scenes and see a little bit more into you as people as you know we did the last episode on history, mm-hmm. you know your backgrounds. Just so people get a little more information and can maybe relate better. Sure, sure. Um, so we're mega tight. We're going to go quickly to okay. our closing uh, round. Um, and what we're doing this time around, you have to pick at least two of the following. Okay. Do an impression. Tell a joke. Tell us about a strange thing you collect. Tell us about an oddball job you had. Okay. Tell us about one ludicrous thing you can't live without. Okay. Tell us about your weirdest family member. Okay. Or shower me with a fuse of
1: praise. Okay, tell us about your weirdest family shower. Me with effusive praise. Um, I want to tell you about. I don't know if I would call it an eyeball job, and I think your listeners, if they if they heard the, the the previous segment with with you and I, they know that that I'm a former letter carrier with the postal service, mm-hmm. um, and they also uh, know that I perhaps uh, they know that I was a uh, I sold ice cream at the National Zoo. Correct. Um, perhaps what they don't know is that. Um, I, I'm an alum of the Mayor's Youth Leadership Institute, uh, and I'm also, was privileged to be able to have summer jobs through the Mayor and Mayor Youth uh, Summer Job Program. One of my summer jobs that was memorable uh, was working for um, an organization that was run by none other than the Tommy Wells. Um, okay. and I was a, a student I think I was probably high school age maybe about to graduate uh, and I, I worked for uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the organization Lutheran Family Services it was a it was up on Georgia Avenue uh, not too far maybe a couple blocks north of Upshur Street okay and uh, I didn't know then and perhaps he didn't know that we were both going to be members of the Council of the District of Columbia and I had the privilege of being able to serve with Tommy as well so um, not necessarily an eyeball job but but uh, a, a job that I remember. I worked with Linda Rowe and Tommy, and I appreciate it, I had a great experience, uh, and, and just something that is uh, really uh, special for me. Okay. Um, I want to shower you with effusive praise because I have been showered with compliments about the person behind the council's Twitter handle. Uh, I had literally, uh, this summer, at least uh, six or seven people approach me uh, and asked me who handles uh, the social media for the Council of the District of Columbia. And I have been showering you with the few praise, even when you don't know it, uh, about uh, your, your, your abilities uh, behind the Twitter handle. Uh, and, and some of those folks aren't even District of Columbia residents, by the way.
0: Oh, that's good to hear. And I'm actually being told by the studio that the program's now an hour long. <laughs> so, we have an extra half hour.
1: So, I can shower um, you with more effusive yes, praise. Yes. Well,
0: we'll bring you back for the third round okay. to, to finish up the effusive praise. But, Absolutely. Uh, it's very appreciated. Ah, you it's bet.
1: There. You bet. We appreciate you as well. That Definitely.
0: makes me feel terrific. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, well, thanks again, listeners. Thank you for joining us. Tune in again next time. We're at DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing this is hearing the council thank you thank you councilman thanks josh for having me take care